I'm going to be honest, I don't know what episode this is. My guess is it's somewhere around 108. I'm still in the mountains and it's hard for me to be really clear about where I'm trending on those episodes. It doesn't concern you as much as it concerns me, so you don't care about this. The episode you're about to hear is very important. Sometimes they just click and this one clicked. Sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. Many times I'll record an episode that ends up being an episode that I hear is very good and I agree with. (laughs) That's not arrogance. It just has some insight that I even understand. A lot of times, guys, I'm sure you can get this. When I hear my episode for the first time, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. I speak kinetically. I have no notes. I have no paperwork in front of me. If you've ever heard this, you get that. So this is one of those episodes. I'm in a new spot in the eastern Sierra Nevadas, and this is our first walk and talk. So there's even more kinetic energy because I'm in motion. There's very little other way to put it than I talked to you about how I'm doing what I uh, was meant to do in life. (laughs) I talked to you about how after my seeking my entire life, and maybe even before this life, previous lives, or somewhere else, I don't know, it feels that way. I'm doing what I was meant for. And how profound that is and how I found it. The steps I took to get here are going to be valuable, but a lot of what I'm teaching is inside the words, maybe not even what I'm pointing to. When I listen to a book, whether it's instructional or a novel, oftentimes I will write, well, almost always I will highlight or write quotes. And rarely are those the obvious ones. I actually pump my fist and go, yeah, Gina thinks it's funny. I would think it's funny when I'm listening to audiobooks. Who's rocking out to audiobooks, lectures? I do. So listen to this episode with that kind of ear, with that kind of hearing, with that kind of attention. I'm going to, because like I said, in many ways, I'm hearing this for the first time. I tell you how I found what it is I was meant to do, how it came to me in a place like this. I used to think I wanted to be a multimillionaire to live in a big house. Look at all my impressive stuff, pretty things, car in the driveway. I was wrong. Thought I wanted to be a big old fancy actor where people go, hey, that's Jet Dunlap. Didn't work out that way. I'm doing what I was meant for, and I tell you how I got there, and maybe that will be of value to you. That is my hope. So without any other delays, I give you the newest installment of Psychotherapy, whatever episode it is, and I hope you enjoy. Here it comes. This is kind of a Rod Serling opening. If you remember Rod Serling, for those of you who uh, are big fans of film, television, mystery, or just a bit of a history buff, maybe you knew the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror ride at California Adventure. Rod Serling was the creator of Twilight Zone. I kind of gave it away there for a second. And so the reason my entrance is going to be like that is because I'm going to pose you a question. What if, and I can't do a good voice of his, I wish I could, I've tried. What if you lived in a world where the things you thought you couldn't do fell away? And all of a sudden the range of possibilities that you couldn't see before came into clear focus. Well come with me down the path 
that I'm literally walking on right now. This is a walk and talk. I haven't done this before. Into the woods of the new you. Here's what happened. We're going on week four here up in the mountains. A place that I've described in other episodes is somewhere when even when I was a kid, a kid who had high stress, a kid who was feeling and thinking a lot, a kid who, if you talk to me somewhere around five or six, he would not seem that different than the person you're hearing at the moment. Some people out there are like this. It's not as common as the opposite, being that people who are just happy and enjoying their childhood, or maybe that's just what people like me think or want to think, that you know everyone else's life is much more properly adjusted, meaning when you're six, you get to be six, when you're seven, so on and so forth. Whereas I have always been kind of a deep thinker. I've always been a kind of person who thinks in terms of grand schemes, finality, big purpose. And I don't remember a time in my life where I haven't been that way. And it's been backed up by my rich family history in the sense that I know all my relatives and I had so many of them that they can recant the stories of when I was a lad. Here's the point of this story. I've always felt that I was meant for something. I've always felt that that something was significant. I always felt that that something was right out of my grasp. And I do this too often, but here it is. If you listen to the show, you know these attempts. You know how many things I've tried. Even when I started this show, my aim, my drive, my purpose was not the same as it is now. Well, I can tell you folks, and if I had a drum roll, I would drum roll. I don't. Right now, I am walking through a giant forest of pine trees, through a campsite. It is beautiful. The sun is shining very hotly, brightly, and strongly through the trees. Because at this altitude, the sun hits hard. However, it's like 78 degrees here. And from what I understand, in the valley, it is somewhere in the neighborhood of 105. Anyway, I digress. Here it is. When I was a kid, I thought I was meant for this thing, and now, 100%, without a drum roll, I am doing that thing. 100%, I am living the life I was meant to live. Do you hear that? I quit depression now, month and a half ago. Still don't have it. Not one sign. When I get sad or mad, I have mechanisms that I've built up that I've talked to you guys about that prevent me from going to where I used to go before, which is a deep, bottomless, dark hole of sadness and despair. I don't have that anymore. And that was a part of unlocking it, but so was every single episode you've listened to. All the way from episode one. It happened a long time ago, but it didn't really start to come into its own form until I started doing this show. I had to dialogue. I had to do this show because this show is a big part of the purpose. I even had an episode called starting the purpose. I was meant to be a screenwriter. And I was meant to be a person who helps folks who are going through things that they feel are impossible, insurmountable. My screenwriting is... How do you describe it? Is there anyone out there? And I'm waiting for you to raise your hand or tell me because obviously I can't guess. Is there any one of you out there who plays music at the highest level. I am doing what I was meant to do, and I am not your average bear. 
what I am doing and how I am doing it is at a level that I can appreciate. And no one is more critical of me than me. Hell, this is episode, what, 108 or something? Of a show where I am critiquing myself. So you can believe me when I say that. I am doing something at a professional level that is incredible. The way I write, the way I sit down and just belt this out, without looking up, without closing my eyes, without having to walk around and concentrate, I just come up with fully formed scripts and they come to me in real time. Now, do I have to default and say it's me plus something else? Of course. Can't do this on my own. These characters are so fully formed, I dream about them. And now there's a lot. (laughs) I don't know how Stephen King does it. I know how he does it now, which was always a dream of mine when I was a kid. When I was 13 years old, I first got introduced through a really Stephen Kingy way to his novels. They came into my life, literally. They seeked me out and found me. The Drawing of the Three, the Dark Tower series. A book I got for about 40 bucks, which is a great sum at the time. You could take the trolley across the river and get a, a tram for a nickel. And a candy bar was just a wink. That's how they worked. That's how money was. So it was a different time and that book came to me and it changed my entire perspective on narrative. Because novels do things in a way that movies don't. There's an internal mechanism there that even in stories where they try and go non-linear and speak from the character's perspective, the lead character, they don't really hit. I know there's a little wind, but you can handle it. I'm walking. So that changed me, and I always thought, oh, Stephen King's the bee's knees. He's been my hero since then, more so than anyone in the film industry, because I think what he does is a miracle. I think what he does is divinely fed to him. Anyway, so I always wanted that. Stephen King said when someone asked, and he said it many times, How do you come up with these ideas? And he laughs. It's rehearsed. He's an actor. A poor one, if you see his old horror movies. He was like a swamp creature in one of them. Admittedly a poor actor. He'll say it. He said, I don't know how I come up with these ideas. I just do. And that's me. The other day, when I was sitting around and Gina was talking to me about a loose concept I had, and I was able to completely frame out the story in an hour while I dictated into my phone and Gina cried at the end, I knew it had hit a new level and that I was in this stream, in this world, in this place that I could do things that, it's like Neo, (laughs) of course, because that story was written by writers. It's like Neo in the Matrix at the end where all of a sudden he realizes his power and he's so fast that the Smiths can't even compete with him. If you haven't seen the Matrix, go see the Matrix. And see the first one, you know, it, it gets a little, uh, gets a little worse as it goes on, but it's a good movie. My point is, is that this comes to me with such little effort and freedom that it astounds me every time I write a page. I'm up to page 24 of a screenplay I came up with three or four days ago, and it is just gelling. And I'm taking a screenwriting class, as you know. And everything they're talking about, plus the books I have to read for class by like Sid Fields, they all complement what I'm saying. And also, I'm not 10. I know when something's good and I know when something's bad. I've read enough bad scripts. I've seen enough bad movies. I've seen enough of the opposite. And I know that this is good. I said it comes without effort. I should specify. Other writers 
have to work so hard to outline. It is not as if when I'm typing away at these pages, I'm singing and dancing and, you know, some kind of Disney movie where butterflies and beautiful little birdies are putting my clothes on. It's not that effortless. It's effort. But I know how easy it is for me. And I don't think any writer who actually knows my story or anyone who knows my story will think, oh, wow, lucky jet. No, it's not luck. I mean, it's fortunate. I'm glad I'm there, but I've seeked this out. And even if you listen to this show, you know I've hunted this down. Been looking for this forever. And listen, it being behind writing is the greatest irony of all. I'm dyslexic. Very dyslexic. (laughs) I have ADD. Writing was even worse for me than reading. And reading, as you remember in the episode where I talked about the quizzes with Gina, that three-part episode, you will remember that I talked about my testing when I was a kid and how I got zeros and below zeros in that comprehension. You will get the fact that this is not just me trying to sound very human before I turn into Superman and fly away. Not at all the case. I want to be an actor. I want to be this. I want to be that. Now that got a little confused because when I was 13 years old and I saw Jurassic Park, the most significant movie to me as far as a pivoting point, I said, I want to do this for a living. I want to make movies. And then later in my life, people started to say, hey, you're handsome. And because I wasn't handsome before that, I thought, hey, that seems pretty good. It was the first thing people recognized in me that was all positive. I had a sense of humor, but some people liked it, some people didn't, and it was hit or miss. With this, it was like, hey, you're handsome. And I liked it. So I thought, okay, let's go into the handsomeness business, acting. I gave it an earnest effort. I had some wins, had some losses, but it didn't fit. It didn't feel like I was riding the slipstream of a current that was taking me everywhere I need to go, which is where I am now. I've written in a journal since I was 12 or 13 years old, every night, more or less. So I've been a writer forever, but I wasn't a good writer. Now, that's changed. And the funny thing is, even though I wasn't looking for it, even though this isn't what I would have picked, I love it more than anything. It's incredible. I'm able to tell you all of this prior to the results because I know the results are there. And again, I pose this to those of you who've had this happen. And if you haven't, listening to my show will help because you heard it in real time, which is a unique offering from my show, which is you've heard me in the struggles, not a perception of what my struggles were looking back, like in a book, going, I remember 30 years ago, When I was so depressed that I hid behind a beard so no one would talk to me. I don't have to say that. You can hear it. You can listen to that episode. You can hear the episodes where I said, I'm sad. And just went on. That's not the case anymore. I'm driven. And I'm moving. I also talked about a book that I am writing. Framing out would be safer to say. And it's not getting the kind of attention that my screenwriting is getting. Or this show, which also takes time, and my classes. But the book is very honest. I think it's very helpful as well, but the honesty is unique in its category of books. And I know that an agent will say to me, Jet, do you want to sell this book or do you want to write it your way? And I'll say, write it my way. I'm too young to fall for that money trick. I really want to help people. And I think helping people is giving people hope. Hope that they can count on. Not that hope that I told you is dangerous. Not the kind of hope that comes (laughs) from caffeine. 
or just having a good day. The hope that actually you can put your hands on, pull yourself up with. And that is saying that you need to be working towards the thing that you were built to do, even if it's during the time when you have a full-time job and you have kids. Because when you're doing that, it will resonate through you. You will vibrate at a different frequency. Before you talk, people will treat you different. That's been happening on this trip. People come over to me. They want to talk to me, which is, you know, I guess a little bit annoying. (laughs) Much of that is actually just the character that I built that that bothers me. It doesn't really bother me. I like talking to people. It's hard for me to say that, but it's true. It'll change your frequency when you're going toward it. Here's where the books get it wrong. It's not seven easy steps. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is do this thing that you know you were meant to do. It's usually the thing hiding behind the thing you're doing. I thought I wanted to be an actor. I thought I wanted to be in the handsomeness business. I wanted to have six-pack abs. I couldn't do it as an actor. I've done it as a writer because now my resonance, my vibration is at the right frequency and I can do everything I want. Here's the point. When you find that thing, do it. The doing it will be good enough. I love writing. I love reading what I wrote. But more, I love reading what I wrote to my wife and her going, wow. And then I love going on our walks and analyzing what it is I wrote and figuring out how, after I've done it, it affects the rest of the story and how much more profound it was than I thought it was when I was writing it. That's what we're after. Do I have $250 million? That number's been raised from $180 million, starting at $50 million when I started the show. Do I have that money in my pocket right now? I believe I do. And I speak to you with that kind of confidence because I know what I'm doing is that unusual. There's a second component to it in me. But what I wanted you to understand first before I go back to my story is that when you start to do this, the money problems you have in your life will fall away. When will you get paid? When will it transform your life? Some of you people are not in my situation. You can't go camping for a month. You can't just go off the grid. You want to know, when will it pay me? When will I start to get the abundance back from my efforts? That's where the books have to lie. I say have to because they have to sell the book, right? I get that. I used to be in sales. I don't agree with it, but they have to. Here's the point. It will happen when it happens. And you'll know when you're closer than when you're further. But remember, you can still do this with a full-time job and have kids. Take care of kids. Does it sound like I'm a person who doesn't know what that entails? Of course it does. I don't have any. Take care of your dog, your fish, whatever it is. You can do it in conjunction. But once you start to do it, everything in your life will rise. Everything in your life will be different because you are different. Do I have to say something stupid like it's worth it? Do I sound like it's worth it? Does the fact that I've been in the mountains for a month, doing what I love where I love, does it sound like it's worth it? Of course it is. But there's another component to my side of this story. Now I've told you how it'll affect you. I'll tell you what's happening in my life. And how there's a duality. Hypnotherapy. I've already been able to help a great number of my friends with this in the practice, but also in the training. I just know more about the human condition and the subconscious, which has been tremendous. I'm in the mountains yesterday, and we're going over to an area called Old Shady Rest. Old Shady Rest. Sounds like Wilford Brimley or some guy with a big old mustache came up with that name in the 1800s. We're over there, and we're walking with our wagon and our little doggy. 
And we hear, ah, well, my God, yelling. Look off into the distance to the left. Right near a little tent is a big old bear. A bear. You know, those things you see on TV, the thing that Yogi was. A bear. And people are running and screaming. People are saying, it's charging us. Look out, look out. There's a bear. Just like in a movie. It's funny how people turn out like they do in a movie. In a well-done movie, in a bad movie, it won't resonate and it won't be real and you'll know. We go over and we see the bear running around. And then this, what turns out to be a campground host, but at the beginning I didn't know who he was, starts yelling, go away, don't take any pictures, stow your food, lock your trailers, you know, don't feed it your babies, stuff like that. He's screaming. And I'm like, this guy's kind of a jerk. But we walk away, we turn around, and we go towards our campsite. Gina wasn't loving it as much as I was. I, of course, wanted to take pictures of this bear. But being a wildlife photographer, I know how to do that. I go back to camp. There's no point trying to do it with your phone. That's useless. You'll never get a good picture with your phone. And if you do, you're probably dead because you took it right before it attacked you. So I go back to camp and I get my big old lens, my 7200, with my Canon R. And I go back to take this picture and I see this campground host, no bear, this young guy. I don't know how old he is. Seems like he's in his late 20s or 30s. So my age. And uh, he's just driving around in circles looking so mad. But I can feel the heat coming off this dude. He is running hot. He is mad. So I stop him. Hey, how you doing? I look legit. I have my GoPro hat on, my favorite hat in the world. I got up at a thrift store the first week we were here. It is my favorite hat in the world now. And I say, how you doing? He is so tense he can barely look at me. He's looking forward. Ugh, he says. What is it? I tell him I'm a photographer, tell him what I'm all about, and I start telling him about how I've taken pictures of bears here before. I've worked with the local newspaper. They tried to hire me to head it up. It's all true. 45 minutes I'm talking to this guy, and he just unloads his story. And at first it's really hard. He's not a guy who likes to talk to people. He said, you know, that guy over there in the corner who you saw the bear with, he's taking pictures while his cooler's out, and the first thing you do is put the stuff in the cooler. You don't set up your tent. He didn't even move his cooler. I had to move his cooler. And then the guy says to me, hey, kid, I've been camping for 40 years. And before this guy, his name is Andrew, says what he says, I said, well, if the guy's been camping 40 years, he should know better. And Andrew's like, yeah, man. And after about 20 minutes, he says, you know what the worst part about life is? Stress. Boom. I got him. I say, Andrew, you're going to be uncomfortable when I say this. You're going to brush me off, but let me finish. What you're doing is important. He looks uncomfortable. A person like this would. I said, these bears will be around long after you and I. It was their land before it was our land. What you're doing makes a difference. What you're doing is appreciated. He takes a beat. You know there's only one guy out here who covers June Lake and all of Mammoth for this bear stuff, and I end up having to do this, and I don't even get paid. I ease him down. What you're doing is important, man. I appreciate it. I see what you're doing. And it means a lot. But more importantly, you're doing good for the bears. You see, if he's not doing this and the bears get fed or aggressive like they were and they charge someone, then they can be euthanized. Andrew takes this as a personal crusade. He's never even worked in this kind of environment before. He was a musician, an audio tech. This is his new world. But he cares. Because I think the resonance of this place, the connection in nature, makes you care. And people who are sensitive care about animals like that. And so I went on to keep telling him how much he matters. At the end, he looks at me 45 minutes later. I have my giant camera on my side. I went there to take pictures of bears. I'm talking to this guy instead. I figured the universe put him on my path so I could help him because the universe has sure been helping me. This is a part of me helping other people. At the end, his shoulders were down. 
He was listening. And I had taken that energy, that dark energy out of him. I said, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for talking to me. And again, thank you for what you're doing. That's another part of what I get to do. If I'm able to create at this level, it has to be balanced. The gift I have, even though I do believe it was earned, it's still a little bit magical. So it's counterbalanced. Now, I didn't go out seeking this guy. I went over there. Actually, he was annoying me earlier. I saw the energy, felt the energy, and I helped him. Why am I telling you this? Some of you are like clapping your hands and jumping up and down and going, I get it. I get it. Because your resonance is like mine. You get it. I must do that too. I'm financially generous with people. I must do that too. I must do this too. I am getting and I am giving. Now am I getting the financial abundance at this exact moment? I believe that it's there already. And not like the secret. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. But I know the money is there. Because what I'm doing is special. But I must also give. And did I like giving this guy the kind of help? that I uniquely am set up to do. Not uniquely in the world, but uniquely out of most people. He hasn't had anyone be able to help him like this since June, since he's been here. Tell him he's doing a great job. Take his stress level down. I think there's probably about four or five nuggets I gave him that he can feast on when he's feeling really stressed. I like doing that too. So the thing that I do to give back and the thing I do that makes it so I can create these narratives are in harmony, yin and yang. All these things we see all the time on t-shirts, bumper stickers, they have meaning, but their resonance is gone because they've been so overused. Living your best life. This is a thing that sells Lululemon. Being in harmony is an advertisement for REI. It doesn't make it less true. It makes it confusing to your subconscious when you hear it from them because you think it's wrapped in advertising, and it is. There's wisdom inside the noise. I'm doing what I was meant for in life. It took a little longer than I wanted, <laughs> but it took exactly as long as I needed to. I know both are true. Both statements are true. The first one is a feeling. The second one is the truth. I am doing my life's calling, and I'm loving every second of it. When it's hard, it's great. I think it was George Burns who said, when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. <clears throat> I disagree with that completely. He got lucky early. When you do what you love, you work harder than you've ever worked in your whole life. But it's great. Even when it sucks, it's great because you're doing what you are put on this earth for. And that is profound. And I want you to look for that. If this was a self-help show, I'd start to frame things out. But you have to go inside. You have to figure it out yourself. You have to look to where your silence is and you have to investigate yourself like a detective and say, what have I always done? When I was trying to be an actor, when I was trying to be all these things, I wrote constantly in a journal, in notes. I was writing more than anything else. And I didn't see that clue till later. That is what I was doing. When I felt something that I couldn't express, I wrote it. Even though I'm pretty good at talking, there it was the whole time. What are you not seeing in your life right now? that might be hiding. And that thing that's hiding might be what you're meant to do. And maybe it takes a little bit of time, but isn't it worth it? Most people go through their whole life, pass on, never knowing. You don't have to be that anymore. I'm truly out of words. If I continue, it will dilute this, and I don't wish for that to happen. 
Thank you so much for listening on my first walk and talk. I am in a new campsite, New Shady Rest, Eastern Sierra Nevada mountain range, about the same altitude. I know you don't care, but I do that in the show. Over 7,000 feet. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you next time.